I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Kevin Snow, CEO of Time on Target. And we're going to be discussing how to use sales automation without being salesy. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to uh, chat with you and uh, uh, provide some value to all your listeners. Uh, could you just start off, Kevin, by describing a little bit more about what you do at Time on Target? Sure. So Time on Target's my company. I actually launched it about uh, 12 years ago, but it had a whole different focus at that point. I was actually doing sales and networking training for companies and, and conferences and workshops and stuff like that. It was really awesome. Uh, but I, I did a huge shift in how my company worked in 2012 when I got back from a deployment to Iraq uh, because I realized I had absolutely no clients and no speaking gigs and nothing in my pipeline. And I had that oh crap moment uh, where I realized that I had actually, I hadn't, I didn't have a company. I had a job and that my company couldn't survive without me being around. So I did a huge shift from the speaking and training thing to where I actually started going into companies and actually helping them launch their sales team. So these are all growth companies. Uh, they had been hustling. They'd been selling. They're, they're now at a point where they're trying to scale and hit some bigger revenue numbers for more outside funding and different milestones they needed to hit. Uh, but they're all self-aware enough to know that they didn't know anything about actually how to manage salespeople and how to make sure the program worked. So I was coming in and doing that as kind of your, you know, VP of sales for hire for them. And it, it was fun. I, it was really cool. Got to learn a ton about businesses. But I that I've discovered that wasn't scalable either, unless I wanted to have these huge consulting teams and really ramp up my prices and make it out of reach for the clients I was really targeting at that point. And I found that the one piece I really loved was going in and helping them figure out how they actually sold their product and how their customers were making buying decisions and then making sure those all matched up and then integrating the technology into it. So it was a seamless, really painless process for the buyer to make that yes decision. So that's what we do for our clients now is really help them understand how they sell and figure out how to use all those technology pieces that are out there effectively so it's easy for them as a salesperson or the business owner, then also really simple for that 
purchasing person to make that decision to go to the next stage in the relationship. So it really sounds to me like an end-to-end sales solution because it's everything from the consultancy about how to sell what you're selling, but then the integration of technology to make that a seamless journey really for both parties, the salesperson and the customer. Yeah, exactly right. You know, there's tons of companies out there and, and people will say, yeah, I'll build you your funnel. I'll build you this. I'll, you know, I'll do your, write your email stuff, but they'll come in and they'll, you're going to need a lot of direction from the company uh, that they're working for to actually create something. My, where I have fun is in those strategy meetings where we're talking about the process and figuring out what's happening. And I get to come up with ideas and say, well, what happens if we do this? And, you know, we could do this thing. And it really becomes this collaborative, creative thing. And that's where I have all the fun. Cause then I get to go back and I can do all the creation stuff and I can bring in people to help me build out the processes and whatnot. But where, you know, I think the real value for the client is going through that discovery process and really learning what works and what doesn't, as opposed to just bringing someone in who's going to build something that's, you know, maybe based off of some process they bought from some internet guru and, and not something that's actually designed to work specifically with a client and a specific prospect. I know in sales, there is this pressure to close, but it sounds like your approach is intentional and iterative. Is that your approach? How would you describe what this concept of seeking closure and not the close is? So we, we've all had those experiences with salespeople where they've tried to pressure you or strong arm you into a close and it, and, and, and to saying yes. And it always leaves this really horrible taste in the buyer's mouth when that happens. And, and that's because they're so focused on getting to the yes. The, the thing people need to understand about sales and the sales process is that sales is just a conversation with an outcome. So you, you think about when you talk to any of your friends or, or your wife or your partner or your family, whenever you get done with that conversation and you're wrapping up, there's always that next step. Hey, Bill, it was great talking to you. I will, you know, let's chat on Friday about the barbecue and what I, what I need to bring. There's always that, hey, here's when we're going to connect again and what we're going to do. Sales is the exact same way. When you get done with that meeting, there should be that clear expectation of what happens next that moves that relationship and that process forward. But what happens is usually sales is so focused on getting the close, they aren't paying attention to all those milestones that they need to be hitting where they can help that buyer get through their buying decision process. So they're just really focused on how do I get you to say yes, as opposed to, hey, how do I get you to do this one thing that I know is going to help you make a big decision at the end? I'm a 90s child, uh, kind of growing up in the 90s. And I felt like from the 80s, it's like a wall, it feels like a kind of Wall Street concept of uh, always be closed and always seek the close. Yep. And uh, Glenn, uh, Glenn Gang. Uh, I can't ever say it, that film uh, without Pacino. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Um, And I think about that as you're talking this through. And I just, you know, my, how I feel about sales today and what I see works most fluidly in sales is kind of what you just talked about. So rather than seeking the close, it's patience has become the skill that's most in demand in sales. Mm -hmm. What do you, what skills do you think are required to approach sales in the way that you're, you're discussing here? 
So there's two huge skills that salespeople have to be successful if they're in a solution selling environment. So where they're out selling something that is a bit more complex, it's not a transactional sale, you know, it's really focused around helping the the consumer, the business make a decision that helps them move forward and solve something and become a better company. And those two things are listening and questioning. And I when I started out in corporate sales, I was horrible. I couldn't close it. I couldn't close a barn door. It was it was bad. Uh, but I was doing all the traditional stuff that people think salespeople do. I you know I had the pitch deck from marketing. You know, I was flipping through, or I was talking about the company and the product and how cool I was. You know, and I had all the the closes from Zig Ziglar and Tom Hoskins and, and all those people. And it, that doesn't work in that solution selling process. You know, it it works if you're selling widgets. And you're trying to, you know, it's and you don't have a competitive advantage other than, hey, I can save you two cents or, you know, we can do it faster. But when you're in that solution where you're trying to fix something for the a company, it's so important to ask really good questions and make the meetings all about that other person and, and get them to start sharing what's important to them. And, you know, I, I always start off with that question, you know, tell me your story. How'd you, how'd you become the purchasing manager for this, this huge company? And now I get to hear about all the stuff they went through and, uh, you know, and it helps me get to know them better. So for me, my big, my big uh, switch from sucking to actually closing a ton of stuff was when I, got rid of the pitch deck and just started asking them about their business and started trying to figure out, all right, so how does my product fix them? How does it help them make more revenue? How does it help them, you know, cut costs? You know, what is that solution look like? And I went from barely being able to close stuff to actually tripling the revenue that my clients were paying because I was fixing a solution. They didn't care that we were more expensive and they were willing to pay more because I was saving them hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was helping them generate revenue. So that ability to listen to what the client's saying and really take that in and then transition that into a solution that you can return to them is, is so key. And that's, you know, I, I do digital marketing. I do email and CRM and sales process stuff. You know, I go anywhere from, you know, $1,500 a month up to, I have had clients that were five or $6,000 a month for a period of time. And I one call close them. Because I can ask them the right questions and I can understand their answers. And then I can regurgitate that back in a solution and give them a ton of stuff. They're like, oh my God, this is exactly what we're looking for. When can we start? Did you have any kind of sales awakening where you realized that the more traditional methods weren't working and that listening and questioning were more important for you? Was there like a trigger, a moment, just something that you recall that made you think, ah, maybe I need to approach this differently? I, I don't know if there was like a singular moment in in my head. You know, my business partner has the one moment that he figured it out because he forgot his pitch deck. But I don't think I really had any of that. Yeah, he literally he forgot his pitch deck. He's like, oh, my God, now what do I do? So he just started asking questions. And he, and he walked out of there with the clothes. He's like, what the hell? What just happened? Uh, so he tried it more and it kept working. But, you know, I don't know if I, I think mine was more over time. It was me analyzing what was happening. I'm a very high C analytical person. So I think for me, it was really looking at what was happening and figuring out, trying to figure out how, what makes it better. So it was more iterative over time. You know, I'd, I'd shortened up parts that, you know, I looked at and I thought were just boring and I'd see the client just kind of, you know, 
glazing over in their eyes because they weren't interested either. And I make those really short and I'd, I'd pay attention to where they were really excited and really spend more time on that. Kind of the same as I did when I started on, you know, appearing on podcasts. I'd, I'd talk to a, you know, one of the hosts and they'd be asking a question. I'd say something and they're like, Oh my God, tell me more about that. And I'm like, Oh, all right. Well, that's a good thing. We're going to, we're going to make that into a topic and we're going to expand and figure out how to make that a really good story. It was the same thing with the sales. I was really paying attention to your clients and how they, where they reacted positively and where they reacted negatively to what your current pitch is. It's so funny. I was making that comparison to podcasting in my mind as you were talking that through. I was like, the interviewing part, it sounds a lot like the process that I go through in podcasting and just as an interviewer in listening and asking the right questions. And actually on the point about questions, just because you've raised it, I'm interested to know how much research you do before meeting people so do you really customize questions based on research for the people that you're meeting do you find that helps or do you have you refined your process to ask similar questions to all prospects that are open-ended and tend to lead to better answers so it's kind of a probably a, a little bit of both you know when i was doing the real heavy corporate fortune 500 sales where that was my only only job was to uh, find prospects and go out and meet them and close them. I did more research and, and it was a little bit harder than because we, you know, that was back in the, the mid nineties. So we didn't have as much internet data that we could just go look at and find. And most people didn't have websites yet even. So I would do some and I try to figure out kind of what's going on with them. And, you know, I, I read a lot of the business journals and stuff to see what was happening in the local industries. But for me, because I was so, I'm so detail oriented and process driven, it was really important for me to have some sort of questioning checklist. So I had, I figured out what were all the key things that I needed to get out of a conversation to be able to put together a process and to put together a solution for that client. And, and that's what I started using. And at the first, it was really clunky because I was literally walking down the, the, the question list. It was like I was, you know, interrogating them. All right. Question one. And then we'd go that way. But then I was able to, I, as I learned my questioning, I got much better at having, having it be a conversation where I could, you know, start with, all right. So tell me your story. How, how'd you launch this business? You know, tell me about that. And I could pull out the details. And be filling out questions that I now didn't have to ask because they told me. And then I could follow up with questions that would, you know, so I'd be hopping all over uh, in my questioning list. But it was now this, you know, free flowing conversation that was just fun for both people involved. And on this topic of more traditional selling versus what I'm considering to be modern process, like kind of iterative selling. Are there any industries that stand out to you where you think people are approaching it a more traditional way, but really the industry is begging for the more solution orientated process driven sales so that somewhere in the industry, the imbalance is just wrong? When you look at the business to consumer sales models, those are very much more the traditional, you know, I meet with you, I tell you stuff about the product, and I try and get you to close it right on the spot. Hmm. But there's a lot of ways that you can integrate that solution sales into that that type of process. You know, let's look at auto dealerships and oh. car sales. You know, people will come in with a specific idea of, you know, I, I want this model. 
And so the salesperson just jumps on that and tries to get the clothes. And it usually then comes right. down to price and timing. But if you ask questions and you, you come in, you start asking, you know, you know, do you have a wife and kids? Do you have a husband? You know, you know how are you going to be using the vehicle? Is it going to be for work, fun? You know, is this a pleasure thing? You can now start saying, you know, this is actually a really cool vehicle, but have you looked at this one? And you can now start giving them options and show them, you know, different things they can do and how it can impact their life. You know, you have three kids, you have another one on the way. This Porsche is, you know, really cool, but, you know, is it really great? You know, are you going to be able to take the kids to soccer? What about this? We have this, you know, car. It's also very sporty and it has some really get up and go, but it, it has room for four kids and, you know, be able to show them different options. So there's ways to bring that into that trans, that transactional sales where you still are able to get to the, the closure and getting them to make a decision, but without using all those horrible Ben Franklin clothes and the takeaway clothes. And, you know, if you buy today, we'll give you a, we'll give you some extra floor mats. <laughs> That's a really uh, good example. And what I'm thinking here is that being in this space, you must spot these examples all the time. So I imagine that you must spot either in, you must be sold to in ways that you think, oh, I wish this was modernized. Is that the kind of thing that you look out for a lot? Well, it's funny because I do a lot of consulting and uh, me and my business partner and one of my other companies, we do some masterminds where we're working with entrepreneurs to help them scale and grow their business. And everyone, you know, they're a lot of times they're fixated on the price thing where they, you know, it's like, oh, I got to close the deal. So I'm going to, you know, give them a discount. So it's really working with them to understand the questioning and being able to build the value piece in it and, you know, getting away from just transactional sales, which is what most people are exposed to. And then when you go into business, you try and replicate what you've seen. So, and you end up doing it the wrong way, but it's really funny when people try and sell to me and Donnie, he's a high D sales guy and I'm a high C sales guy. And we're both really good at what we do. We're literally like chatting to each other on Facebook messenger and, and dissecting how the guy's selling to us. (laughs) <laughs> and he's like, well, and he like, if we're doing, it's a technical thing, like for some software, he'll message like, all right, so you're going to like this part. Here it comes. I'm going to take a nap. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I'm listening. And, but so we're, we're, we really pay attention to how people sell us. And a lot of times Donnie is really good at, at turning it around, especially when it's a business owner that we're working with and now turning it into, Hey, you know, we saw this, we can help you fix that. And now bring them into our world to do stuff with us. Are there any conversations that you can recall where you've been sold to in a way that's actually blown your value, but you've been really impressed and you've kind of sat back maybe in Facebook Messenger and been like, actually, this is really good. Like, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, there there have been some people who have come in and were able to balance our two different personalities really well and keep and, you know, especially when we're doing um, stuff with software as a service, you know, we're looking at, you know, tools to manage our membership and give them access to content and, you know, and keep everyone connected and then manage our businesses. Cause he's in Texas. I'm in Minnesota. So it's not like right. we can sit across the desk from each other and, and work on stuff. You know, that way people will come in, it'll just knock it out of the park because they understand. All right. So I got these two people are on the d- completely different ends of the spectrum and they'll give Donnie the upfront stuff right away when we're in a conversation about what he absolutely needs to know. Uh, and then allows me to ask, ask my questions so that I get what I need to know. 
Hmm. And and we'll we'll comment on it. it's like all right he he's figured this out and then it's like do we do we screw with him you know do we change or do we just go with it and have a really cool conversation and depending on our mood sometimes we do screw with the sales guy just to have some fun but <laughs> but yeah it, it's it's a common thing especially because we do sales training you know and that's part of yeah. our business with success champions is teaching people how to do it so we're always paying attention to what people are doing with us and what demos work really well. We had one the other day that was, we're like, Oh my God, that was horrible. I even said it was horrible. Uh, and it was, it was all technical stuff. We're like that was not effective at all. How do we, how do we get them in our, in our programs? So. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I feel like I've got a good grasp from everything we talked through there about like a, a good framing of what salesy and non-salesy is. So now I'm going to kind of move into the automation part, the really geeky part. This is something I'm really enthusiastic about and a very broad and open question for you to, to start with. But what do you see, what comes top of mind for you when I ask where automation should and shouldn't be used in sales? What drives you crazy? What do you really enjoy? I absolutely hate when they try and replace the salesperson with automation. Uh, you know, there are some products that you can do that with and you, you, you know, you don't need the personal handholding, but for most solution based sales, you need to have the relationship piece. So I come in when I'm working with companies, uh, whether I'm working with helping trying to get the owner more time in their day so they can do more owner stuff and work with clients and get everything done, or if we're trying to help sales teams be more, more effective, I look at automation. How do I enhance what the salespeople are doing? How do I make the salespeople's time more effective? How do I help the owner have more hours in the day? to get stuff done that actually scales his business. So it's really, I look at two different things when I look, when I build out sales processes and start adding in the automation. One is where are all the redundant tasks? That is the number one thing that we want to automate. So, you know, salespeople, I, I, I love it when salespeople say, yeah, I have to enter the client data in these five different systems. Why? Or when they say, my, yeah, I have to do all these manual reports for my manager. Why? <laughs> you, you have a CRM. Why isn't he just pulling these things? So it's looking at all those redundant steps that can be automated that free up a ton of time to allow that salesperson back into the field. The other thing that automation is really key for in sales is communication and content delivery. You know, one of the number one things that wastes salespeople t- salespeople's time is either one scouring the corporate uh, network for content and marketing pieces that they can send to a, a client in the middle of the process, or trying to create content and create marketing pieces. So, if you understand how your buyer makes those purchases and what steps they go through and how they line up to your selling process, you should know what questions that they're asking so that you can now pre-configure your automation to, all right, we're at this step. We just finished this type of meeting with the client. We're now going to send this automated email that looks like it comes from the sales guy, but has all this really beneficial content that they're we know they're looking for. And now your salesperson doesn't have to figure out how do I write this email? What content do I need? Where is that at? Do I need to create it? Does marketing already have stuff? You know, what do I have? We can have that pre set up. And then if your automation is smart enough, 
you can understand, you know, based on the industry, based on the size of the company, you can send them stuff that's germane to their situation so that you're not sending, you know, Fortune 100 case studies to mom and pop that's trying to hit their next milestone. When you go through that process, do you teach people how to configure automations themselves or do you do it on their behalf? We will normally do it on their behalf. So most uh, companies I work with, even if they have a marketing department, their marketing team is really focused on the messaging and how we get that messaging out in front. They're not always going to have that person who geeks out on how automation works. And all the things that can happen in the back end of an automation system where you can do tracking on the website and you can do, you know, Facebook pixels and, you know, all these different things that can trigger stuff happening. They're really focused on the message. And that's why you get a lot of bad automation because it's really this, oh, we sent this now five days later, we're going to send this other thing. And they get take, you know, the really basic steps through the process. You mentioned about redundant tasks, and I'm curious about the common, the most common redundant tasks that you see. So you talked about maybe the segmentation or sorry, the input of data into multiple platforms. Uh, is there anything else aside of that, uh, outside of that that you see as a common redundant task that salespeople waste a lot of their time on that you frequently automate? Yeah, so that, that is one of the biggest ones. The other, the next one is that thank you email. I always used to do them on Fridays at the end of the week. You know, hey, thanks for meeting with me. It was great learning about your company that I would always, because I was not paying attention because I it was busy work that I had to get done, but really wanted to be doing other things. I would forget to change the name and my template. So I'd send, you know, Bob a message says, that says, hey, Janie, mm-hmm. and uh, or I'd have the wrong company and I'd hit send and I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? So it's, you know, tasks like that, the, you know, I don't want to say they're the mindless tasks, but they're the tasks that take, take time and need to be done to keep the company and the process moving, but they're not the best use of the time for the salesperson. And you know, you, another, another great yeah. one that can automate with some systems that just popped into my head is uh, watching your prospects' social media feeds. There are some CRMs out there that will pull in feeds from different systems. So you can actually go in your CRM and see what they're posting about, what they're doing. You now don't have to spend a ton of time going out to Facebook and searching through all your contacts or on LinkedIn and searching through everyone. So it's kind of making curation, the curation of business intelligence more efficient. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, you were providing an example there about what sometimes can happen when automation goes wrong, like getting the name wrong. And this is something I'm really curious about because one thing that I've faced in marketing, but with salespeople is the apprehension or the anxiety for people that are maybe non-technical in configuring automations and then maybe something going wrong. So that's what I've seen and heard, but I'm really curious to know in the salespeople that you meet, what are some of their anxieties or apprehensions when it comes to automations? What kind of questions are you getting? So the, the first one that usually pops up when we say we're going to add in some automated emails or some con- automated content delivery to their prospects is they are afraid it's going to not sound like a real person. They're afraid it's going to sound like marketing stuff and it's, and that their sale, their, their prospects are going to have an issue with it. So it's really key to understand. And if your, your, your company is hiring the right salespeople that, uh, that matches how they sell and their tone and, you know, their personality 
if you understand how what that company's personality is, you can write things that sound like it's a person actually doing it. So my business partner, Donnie, he actually started out as a client of mine that I, uh, that I uh, picked up off of a Facebook group uh, because he had broken his MailChimp and he needed someone to help him fix his email. Uh, so one of the first things we automated for him was a welcome campaign for people that joined his free Facebook group. And the second email, the first email is, hey, welcome to the group. Here's all our rules. Don't break them. We'll kick you out, blah, blah, blah. Second me, uh, me, uh, email we sent out, the subject was, oh, my God, I'm an asshole. And it went into the body. Then it was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I was so excited to have you in the group. I, you know, I went all about, you know, giving you all this stuff. And I didn't even introduce who I am. So here's three things that most people don't know about me. And then we finished with this question where they would reply back. And the thing is, Donnie swears. He is a former Marine. He saw, he, you know, he swears like a sailor. Um, and that's, that's his brand now, you know? Uh, so we wrote it like that. We would put in, we'd drop an F-bomb in emails. We'd use, you know, we use the term asshole right in the uh, subject line. And we got, that is our number one opened email still after like four years and the one we get the most replies to people will reply back and say, Oh my God, Donnie, no, I don't, I, I wasn't offended at all. You know, it, it's really cool. Here's some stuff about me and here's the answer to your question. And I'm like, did you not see the giant, you know, if you'd like to unsubscribe to this mailing list field at the bottom, <laughs> because this, they all think it was actually him sending in an email. So if you do it correctly, People won't under people won't realize that it is automated. They're still going to think that you're talking to it, and they're going because they want to believe that they're having that personal interaction with someone. So that is really the key thing that we get across to the sales team when we're going to be doing a bunch of automation. That hey, we want to make this sound like you you guys would talk, and make it sound like it's actually coming from a person, not just some company marketing guy. Do you think it matters if the customer? does know whether the email is automated or not i don't think so the 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 thought that's going through my head is that it's almost like authenticity trumps the automation part so everything that you've discussed there i was thinking about that how when when you use automation one of the other apprehensions anxieties questions that i've seen is pretty much what you described there how do we make this feel like it's us yep. or me. And I actually think that lends itself to what you were talking about originally, that whole process of listening and understanding the character behind the campaign. Yep. Because once you have that information, you can bring that authenticity through in the emails that you're writing or in, in the email campaigns that you're producing. So um, while I understand what you're saying, that um, you, you bring that authenticity through for the listening, through the questioning, and through that end-to-end process, what I've seen is that if you're very upfront about emails being automated, most of the time, in my experience, customers don't really care. It's more the authenticity that they care about. If you're inauthentic and you present an email campaign that you've made appear to be personal, but there's something in the email which very clearly indicates it's not personal and it is automated, but you haven't really addressed it head on, that's where I think some of the issues can lie. I would agree with you completely on that. I think. You know, this is year 2022. People, 
expect and they understand the whole email marketing thing is out there. You know, the proliferation of spam filters and, and, and all that type of stuff. So people expect to get automated emails. I think it's how you integrate it into the individual sales process. So when I'm working with a prospect that's going to be going longer than just one one sales call, because it's a more complex process or, or project that we're going to work on, you know, I'll usually let them know, hey, uh, after this meeting, you know, you should expect an email yeah. from me tomorrow with and it's going to have this cool thing in it. So now they're looking for it, even though it's coming right out of my automation system. It says, hey, Bill, here you remember that here's that email I told you was going to come. Uh, here's the content that I wanted to make sure you had about so that you, you know, felt comfortable with the project and the change you're attempting to make with your business. So and we did that for a, a roofing company where they went out and did that initial meeting with the client. Uh, marked the meeting complete, did all their measurements and stuff. And then the next day, the client got an email with a guide to choose the right prospect or the right contractor. Because in in the States, when we have a huge thunderstorm or hailstorm and there's, you know, damage, we get storm crews. So we'll have roofing companies from other parts of the country send people up to try and get business. And they'll just knock on doors and try and sell people. Hey, you had a huge storm last week. My name's Billy Bob, and I want to sell you a roof. So there's a lot of fly-by-night stuff that goes on in that industry, unfortunately. So we built out this this uh, guide for their prospects on, hey, here's how you make the right choice about who you hire to do your roof. Here's all the things you need to check, and here's red flags you need to be watching for. Here's things you need to they need to be able to say and, and verbalize to you. So it helps it was really to help that person now feel comfortable making a decision. Because most of us, you know, I, I grew up on a farm. I do not know anything about roofs. So if some a roofing guy comes in, he sounds really nice and professional, I'm gonna believe him. <laughs> but giving, you know, give me that guide. And now I can say, oh, all right. So I need to ask these things. Now I can get deeper and feel better about the information I'm getting because that gives me now ownership on that buying decision again. So getting that right content and getting it out to the person in a way that helps them, makes them feel good about what's happening in their world right then is one of the ways you really get that authenticity across and people don't care that it's an automated email anymore. It's just, wow, Bill's helping me. This is awesome. No one else gave me this type of information. And uh, then you get to move on with the sales process in a better relationship and a better position with that prospect. It's expectation management, really. If you set the expectation for someone that something might be automated, providing the content meets those expectations, it really doesn't matter whether it's automated or not. Um, You're going to have delivered value. You're going to have met the need or the goal. That's a key thing for salespeople. And, and a lot of times, especially newer salespeople, they're just really excited to get the sale. Don't set the right expectations because they want to come across as the, I'm, you know, I, I'm the get, the get shit done guy. Uh, now I'm, now I'm into my swearing world. So sorry for your listeners, but you know, they, they, they're the GSD. They, they want to be the person who gets stuff accomplished. So they're like, yeah, we can do that. And they overpromise and under deliver instead of setting the expectations for what's realistic and what's going to happen during the process. Uh, and it's just because they're excited and they want to help people and they want to do good in their, in their role. I asked a question about whether you set things up or you train people and you said you set them up. As you were talking that through, I was thinking that some of these automations that you set up must be a little bit complex. I know from setting up automations myself that for some, you know, 
all kinds of reasons, things sometimes fail and stop working. And I'm really curious, you work with lots of different clients, you set things up, things will go wrong, things will stop working. Do you have any kind of favorite tools or processes that you use for actually monitoring the health or, or the, uh, the status of the automations that you set up? So I'm usually in an ongoing most with most of my clients, I'm in an ongoing relationship. So I'm not just like coming in, building a really cool project and saying, hey, cool, good luck. Let me know how it works. We're usually in some sort of retainer relationship where I'm actually building and ongoing doing stuff. And, you know, in the military, the term is improving your foxhole. Uh, so we're continually adding new things and upgrading and tweaking and 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 such. So. When I'm in that type of relationship with a client, we're usually doing some split testing on the campaigns. So we're setting up different types of emails where we're testing and uh, optimizing what we send out and doing that with the landing pages as well. So I'm usually in the back end of our, the automation tool. We use Entreport. It's a company out of Southern California, has really cool automations that can be used for not just marketing, but also for business process. So we use them. So I'm in the back end of that all the time looking at, you know, what's going on in their account and how things are going with the split tests that we're currently running and different things and, and tweaking processes and, you know, and we'll meet regularly to talk about, right. So where are, you know, where are our choke points now and what are we seeing and what are the feedback from your your clients that are going through these different processes and really trying to help them keep a handle on it and then coming back saying, all right, here's how we're fixing it. Here's what we're going to do next. Here's the next iteration. So it's really an ongoing process and a good automation tool is going to show you all this stuff and make it really easy for you to get those statistics so you can know what's happening to your contacts and make adjustments so that things work better. Are you a fan of any CRM platforms that use lead scoring over time. I'm thinking about what you said about, we discussed seeking uh, closure and not the close, but lead scoring information can come in really helpful as like an objective measure about how far through or how how close to a sale someone might be. So is that something you're a fan of using? Yeah, I love lead scoring and, and we'll also do lead routing for some of our clients when they have multiple reps that work specific niche industries or geographic territories. But I love the lead scoring because it really allows that customer to have a say and a voice in when it is right for that salesperson to actually be engaging with them. And That's it goes a really back, interesting way of looking at yeah. And it goes back to understanding what that buying process is for your clients. You know, when they're just trying to figure out that they actually have a problem that they need to explore solutions for, they don't necessarily want the salespeople in their face trying to push a product because they don't even know if they need a product. But if so, if you can get them content that is answering their questions and they're clicking through to read it and then they're exploring more stuff, you're able to start to see that pattern of life for who your best clients and best prospects are. And start to target your marketing more so you're getting more of them. Plus, it then allows you to track, you know, certain triggers that let you know, hey, this person's at this stage of their buying process. They're now at this stage. You know, going to a pricing page is usually a signal that someone is getting ready to make some sort of purchasing decision. They're looking now at price options and how it compares with other people. You know, other things where they're looking at case studies 
can be more uh, top of the funnel where people are just trying to figure out what's actually going on in their business. And is this an issue everyone has or is it just me and do they fix it? And then what happens? So they can decide if, yeah, we need to actually go engage people now or no, we're just going to continue what we're doing. And that's something that a lot of salespeople forget is that status quo is an option. When you get told no by your your client, doesn't mean that they're buying someone else. It might mean no, we're just not going to do anything. That we you haven't painted a good enough picture to make us want to do change. I described the lead scoring there, almost looking at it through a salesperson's lens and using it as an indicator about how close you are to the sale. But the way you flipped it around and just and kind of you almost you the way you described it is kind of like look at the lead scoring as your indicator, your barometer as a salesperson for the content that you need to deliver next. And if you treat it that way, you'll close the sale pretty organically over time. Is that a fair kind of summary of how you're looking at it? Yeah, it is. One of the cool things that I do with my clients when we're working on their sales process and they're an established enough business is we'll actually go out and interview a bunch of their clients and talk to them about their experience making the making the buying decision and one of the things we hear back a lot is that they got you know approached by the salesperson too soon that they weren't ready to have that sales conversation they had more stuff they needed to figure out and they felt like you know it was pushy you know they're trying the sales guy was wanting to get that first meeting so they could come in and pitch them so understanding, that's why it's so important to understand what questions people have at those different stages so that you can be as non-intrusive in the relationship and get them all the stuff they want and make them feel really cool about how you're getting them content. A final question to close on, Kevin, for this episode, thinking all of this through, and you touched on it a moment ago as you were talking, but in terms of curating business intelligence. That's something that's really interesting to me. I know salespeople struggle with building their networks, growing their relationships, and then being overwhelmed with information. So you go on LinkedIn, you've suddenly got 10,000 connections, but you just cannot cannot keep up with the information that's actually important to you and important to the prospects that you're talking to. So is there anything that you can recommend, whether it's tools, processes, resources, that you've used and would recommend that helps people use automation to identify the key events in their networks from the prospects that are actually important to them? Well, the first thing I'd recommend is that they need the, the whoever's managing the CRM for the company needs to go and look in the settings and see if there is that feature already organic in their CRM. Uh, and it is there for a bunch of them. I know with like pipe drive is one that I use with clients a lot and they have some capability around that, uh, depending at the price point you're at. And most of the higher end ones, your, your close IOs and, and different types of, uh, CRMs like that. That's part of their main process. Uh, I think Salesforce does it as well. I don't do a ton of Salesforce. It's really hard for small businesses to manage. Uh, so I don't play with it much, but most of your high end, established CRMs have the capability to link into social media uh, once they know who the person's profile is and to be able to pull that information into the record. Good advice. I've actually lied. I've got one final question because I can tell you're really into the automation part as well. Are there any tools or services uh, outside of, I think it was Entreport, the name of the service that you were talking about, that you use that maybe you've started using recently that you're quite excited by? Maybe you're in the, currently like in experimentation stage with. 
the one that we're playing with right now for uh, my company with uh, Donnie is Circle.so. And it is a community building software system that takes the place of like Facebook groups. So you're able to build this gated community for, you know, if you're a course builder or a consultant or a coach or, you know, you have you have followers and people want to interact with you, it, it allows you to get them off of the Facebook groups and into your own environment, which gives, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs um, a little more protection in the event that, you know, Facebook right now is going through their process to figure out how to monetize groups. So if you're not, it's going to get to the point where if you're not paying for your group, you're not going to get as much engagement and visibility as you used to. We had up to 90% engagement in our, our paid group on Facebook. And once they started adjusting their algorithm and wanting you to actually pay them to do group stuff and visibility, it's, and we've seen it just consistently go down. That's the big thing we're playing with now is how we integrate that in with our different email marketing stuff uh, and different tools. So that now it's a seamless piece and people are using it and it's becoming a go-to for them, uh, just like Facebook was for everyone else for years and years. Thanks for sharing that. I've not heard of that before. So, you know, my curiosity uh, is peaked and I'll probably check that out after this episode. Uh, Kevin, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, but before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and Time on Target? Yeah, definitely. I actually have a gift for your listeners. Uh, if they text the words sell smarter to 1-612-429-4292, I will send them a list of questions that they can use to help map out their client's buying process and a guide to what content is most effective for each step in the sales process. And then they'll get some additional uh, uh, text messages after that. They'll you know, get invited to my sales automation group. Uh, they'll get invited to check out some other things, listen to my podcast and all that type of stuff. But then they'll, they'll really be in their world and they in my world and they can uh, get more access and ask me all the questions they want. Awesome. Kevin, thanks so much for your time. I'll make sure that anything we've discussed today is included in the show notes. All that's left to say is this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.